every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name is Paul, and I will be your humble host. Um, I'm typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. And we are in the home stretch. We're nearing the end of Buffy with uh, this batch of three episodes. We're going to talk about 712 potential. 713 the killer and me and 714 first date uh and with me today is james rocha associate professor of philosophy at fresno state and co-author along with his lovely but apparently podcast shy wife dr mona rocha uh, of joss whedon anarchist a unified theory of the films and television series um good to have you back james how have you been doing i i've been doing great thanks for having me back i'm excited to talk about these three episodes yeah, I um, famously, I'm not. Uh, this whole thing is sort of like watching season seven all over for the first time for me because I, I uh, haven't seen it very much. It's the one I've revisited the least, and the recent episodes have kind of been wearing me down. <laughs> season seven started out so strong, and I was surprised. I was like, "Wow, I, I may actually wind up liking season seven And then it's it's starting to it's starting to grind, but. Um, I am surprised at how much I liked these three episodes. I still have nitpicks. Don't worry, viewers or listeners, viewers. Um, I'll I'll still be able to complain about some stuff, but I did like these more than I was expecting. So, oh, good. Me too. So I think it's been uh, a few months. I don't think you've been on the podcast since the actual apocalypse hit. Exactly. So uh, why don't we catch up and find out? Um, how you're doing how you and your wife are doing are you are you bunkered up are you living in a hole in the ground somewhere so so before i i express any opinions let me just uh state for the record that all opinions of are mine and don't represent <laughs> my university okay. so especially if I'm, I, I i don't plan to, um, on complaining about my university but just in case i do okay i want to state that right out front okay um we're 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 doing fine we we pretty much we're very fortunate that we we are both afraid of not of not we're afraid of leaving the home and we pretty much never leave the home so <laughs> it's kind of mad for us they they said they put us online very early in march and they haven't asked us to go back they keep sending emails saying what to do if you if you want to go back and i just delete those emails i don't want to go back <laughs> well that's good that's good I, i'm glad they're not um one of the the educational institutions that's forcing you to go back um, as some have been. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. So no, uh, 
no close calls or anything you guys are managing I, I have i have woken up in the middle of the night a few times and, and told my wife that i have coronavirus <laughs> but there's no possible chance since we're not leaving the house just something i feel sick in the middle of the night and i have to wake her up and let her know that that is one of the side effects of this whole thing is now every single sneeze or or cough or whatever you're like oh oh crap what's happening should i go get yes. tested but um yes yeah um well, I'm glad that you guys are doing well, and it sounds like you're not being pressured to go back out into the the large world. I exactly. I feel like I so my wife, her work is letting her work entirely remotely. Um, so Good. she has she only has to go back into her office every once in a great while just to get notes and stuff. But otherwise, she is. <laughs> She is confined to the house, which means any errands, any shopping or anything, that's all me. And uh, I feel like I've been out of the house more in this pandemic than I was before <laughs> before it started. <laughs> I'm sure that's not really the case, but it just feels that way. Because now you're so hyper aware every time yeah. you're out in public and around other people. Uh, and I'm always watching for the one person in the room that's not wearing a mask because I'm in Alabama. So there's always at least one person who's refusing to practice safety measures but yeah it's it's a lot like that here in fresno it's yeah. it's when when we go to the store there's usually seven or eight people who aren't wearing masks and we try to maneuver to keep safe yes yeah. well um i'd say uh who knows what the new world would be like when this is all over but i'm not sure this is all going to be over i think I'm starting to think this is the new world. I kind of trees that haven't figured out how to take some time off and, and fix things. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Everybody's fine on both of our ends. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, which means I have no excuse not to continue doing this podcast, <laughs> despite how much of a grind it's turning into. Um, all right. So, before we actually get into the discussion, let me drop the spoiler warning in case someone has just found their way out of their shelter uh, and is listening for the first time. Conversations with Dead People, not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in length, in depth. There we go, in depth. And within the context of the series as a whole, which means spoilers and a ton of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the Series all the way through at least once, press pause, go do that, and come back to us whenever you're ready. Um, so with all that out of the way, James, let's go to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about these episodes, especially since each of these episodes, the title tells you a lot and yet leaves open what exact title is supposed to say. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, well, let's start with potential, uh, seven twelve, and uh, what did you? How did you feel about this one? So the first thing I want to talk about, even though it's probably a conversation that can't go anywhere, but but those are good for podcasts. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, is 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 potential a birthday episode where Buffy has given up on her birthday? It's it, it is. I think what is this episode 12? I think 12 is typically the birthday episode of a season, right? 
Yes, and then the last birthday episode in season six, older and far far away, Spike tells Buffy that she needs to stop celebrating her birthday. That's right. That's and right. And so has 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 she given into that? And are we looking at her birthday without acknowledgement of it? I that hadn't dawned on me. That's uh very clever if that's the case. Um I I could be the cynic that I may end up being for this entire episode and say <laughs> that this season is just so packed with uh, random stuff that they didn't have space to do a birthday episode. But um, I like your explanation better. I think uh, <laughs> I think that's much more satisfying if that's what's going on. Although and, I don't see any like indications or signs. It's yeah, just, I was going to say there's there's no mention of it at all so yeah that's one of those really like dark web easter eggs that you hit on there james good yeah point. um all right so no birthday so what so what was this episode and how could it potentially have been oh i said see i told i told my guest last week that uh the words potential and first and what else like those words are utterly ruined now i cannot use those words in casual conversation without having to say oh see what i did there <laughs> anyways uh is but, there anything in this episode that otherwise might have been considered birthday worthy i mean they not go, really they go part I mean, they go party with clem at a demon bar that could have been birthday worthy yeah, and, and in a certain way, um, if it was a if it were a birthday episode, her not celebrating would have done some kind of trick to help them keep safe, right? So, which um, I want to come back to this point, but I think especially in the next episode, the killer and me, there's this big question about how important it is for a lot of these characters to avoid happiness. And so if if this were a birthday episode, if part of the point was as long as Buffy's things don't have to come to a grinding halt. And yeah. so there's an interesting question there about the relationship of, of happiness to characters and how much they they seem to suffer when they become happy. And so her her, her attempts to celebrate her birthday are always ruined. There's also another, just real real briefly, there's another kind of callback to the season three birthday episode, Helpless, uh-huh. where in that episode, um, Buffy has all of her powers removed from her right? so that they can test her to see if she can fight vampires with no powers. And what's kind of what's interesting in the Potential episode, and it's called Potential, and, and in an obvious way, that's a bit too much on the nose. It's a little bit too obvious because they are potentials. Like you said, the word is just coming up over and over again. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an episode about potential. And Buffy decides to test the potential of the potentials by making them fight a vampire without their powers. Because they don't have powers right. yet. Right. And it, it kind of raises the question. I think this whole episode raises the question. Has Buffy gone into a worse place because in, in helpless, we all thought it was just reprehensible that they did that to Buffy. Yeah. Now season seven, Buffy's doing it to the potentials and, and there's not even like any feeling of guilt or regret. 
I, I did. So when it, when she actually, uh, when her and Spike step out of the room and shut the doors to leave the potentials in the, like locked in the room with the vampire, I did have a moment thinking what sort of safe safety measures are they employing here? Can they, are they peeking through the door to see if the potentials ever, you know, get, you know, or put on the ropes? Can they, jump, you know, rush in and save them if they need to? But it certainly didn't look that way. It looked like they just stepped out of the room and were kind of listening to all the chaos that was going on. But, um, I mean, I'm one who's always willing to entertain the worst possibilities for the character of Buffy <laughs> Summers. Um, and it was actually... Uh, which one of these episodes is the one where Giles, well, I guess it's the next two. It's not really this one, but over the course of these three episodes, Giles really becomes, uh, sort of reverts to the old fuddy duddy Giles, but not in the fun way that he used to be like, he's yeah. really, he really doubles and triples down in these episodes about how there's no time for anybody to have fun. Nobody needs to be going on dates. Nobody needs to be, uh, you certainly don't need to be removing Spike's chip or whatever. Um, and it's just interesting that in this episode, Buffy is deadly serious about training the, the potentials. And she's the one that interrupts that. Like she goes down to the basement and they're all having a various conversations and she throws the ax into the wall to get, get everybody's attention. She's very serious. She's general Buffy. Um, and then, you know, over the next two episodes, Giles reprimands her for not being serious enough. And, and it's, it's kind of like in this episode, especially we see Buffy is taking on Giles's role. Mm -hmm. And I think, Giles, like you're saying, is becoming more like he's being pushed from his more reasonable role that he developed into more of a standard watcher from the Watchers Council. Right. And I think one of the things that I worry about in in TV shows like this, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reference, I'm gonna make an analogy to the show Supernatural. Okay. There, there's there's always this question of the, the big bad of one season pushes you to have to get worse the next season. <laughs> and then you start you start getting into ridiculous territory and like Supernatural, you know, early on they fight Lucifer. And then it's like, how do you get worse than, than Lucifer? So they have to give God a sister and they fight God's sister. <laughs> and, and, and and then they still have like six or seven seasons after that. And, and so it's kind of like they in Buffy they fought a god they fought super willow super dark willow right and so the i think one thing that you know a lot of people have a problem with is why is the first so much worse than fighting a god i'm i'm i am merciless to the first and i'm i'm only getting worse as this season goes on the the, the first <laughs> had again i'm going to use that damn P word the on paper the first had the potential to be a genuinely clever dangerous uh big bad for a final season but in practice on screen it is the most pathetic ineffectual of the big bads that i think they've ever had across the entire series it's so it's so scattered and and confused and 
I don't know. It just never, I don't feel like it ever gels into a legitimate threat. Even when it brings out the, its army of uruk -hai. I know that's not what they really are, but come on, it's Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I look for every opportunity to point out how ridiculous and ineffectual the first is. So, And, and I think that part of they they need the characters to sell it to us. Mm. And so Giles is overdoing it on the on the precautions and the worry to sell to us that this is the worst big bad they've had. But like you said, sometimes it just it's hard to feel it. Yeah. It's hard to feel it. This is this is the worst big bad they faced. Yeah. Um I mean it's a little bit laughable uh, again we're jumping around because this is covered in the next episode, but it's a little bit laughable and, and I kind of want to roll my eyes at the whole notion of them trying to fake us out as an audience with Giles never touching anything or anybody and, oh my gosh, maybe <laughs> he's the first. And then, of course, it's all deflated with a punchline where they just go and tackle him to find out if he's intangible or not. But um, some of that is funny, but on the other hand, I mean, it's a little bit funny and it's a little bit did we really like, did we really need to go there? But if they had had the strength of their convictions, if that hadn't just been a red herring or a fake out, if they had actually done that, I mean, I would have been traumatized for life that they had actually killed Giles. That would have completely ruined me, but it would have made the first a more effectual villain, I think. And they could have, I don't know. I'm glad that the characters finally ask did nobody nobody saw him touch anything nobody hugged him that's the big thing for me that's the thing that really grates on me is that giles comes back and not once over however many days it's supposed to be that he's there does anybody you know try and give him a hug or xander never shakes his hand i don't know it's it's a little bit it uh <laughs> strains credulity for me yeah it it it, it's it's way I can see how they felt clever by setting it up by not having him touch anything. Hmm. But then when you get from the perspective of in the universe, does this make sense? Then it feels too contrived. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before I get too dark and before I go too negative here, I do want to comment on the, the cold open, which is the whole training sequence in the cemetery um, with spike and the potentials. That was fun. Um, I like seeing spike yeah. in that role. Um, we got some good line. We got some good laughs in there. Some good lines like uh, um, spike saying, all right, these two are dead. Why? And Rona says, cause the black chick always gets it first. I mean, that's, it's <laughs> a great commentary right there. Um, it's, it's also weird that her name is Rona. I know. Obviously. I know, right? <laughs> like, Has a totally different like, meaning now. It's kind of like one of the Simpsons prediction moments. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but but also, coming out of that scene, the speech that Buffy gives them. Oh, here we go. Which yeah. is, it's, it's, this is, you know, one of the signs that Buffy has changed in a certain way. And... It's not clear, and I think it's, it's a good question. I think it's an interesting question. I think that I, I like this uh, character development. It's not clear, is Buffy maturing? Has she stepped into a, a 
more adult role where she's accepted that she she does have a mission in life and she needs to embrace it or is Buffy weakening from a stronger role that she started in where she didn't care about her mission she she cared about doing the right thing but she didn't care insofar it was, she wasn't she was fighting the the evil because it was evil not fighting the evil because they forced her into this role against her will and I've never been comfortable with the direction that the show goes with uh, turning her in, into General Buffy. I I don't think I'd thought of it in the terms you just put it in, but I agree with you that um, I feel like her sort of moral stance in earlier seasons where she fought back against the, the strictures, um, the dogma of the Watcher's Council and all that, and she still did the right thing. She just didn't do it by those out those outdated rules or whatever. Um, I feel like she was a stronger character there than she is here in context of the question of her maturity. I actually find her the most mature. I I like her now most when she's like being the counselor, which is, is funny because everybody laughs at that. When the subject of her being a Mm -hmm. school counselor comes up, everybody laughs now and it is kind of ridiculous, but, um, I enjoy her in those scenes and that's where she seems like uh, it's a very good blend of the, the quippy sort of immature Buffy, but she's also giving good mature advice to these students. I don't know. She feels much more grown up and mature in those scenes than she does when she comes back to the house and starts barking orders and uh, talking about. So this is the thing that's going to come up again later in this season. Um, for a character that has spent seven years screaming into the I wasn't given a choice void, <laughs> she yeah. sure can talk the talk when it comes to lecturing the potentials on why they're lucky to be chosen. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I think this is I think this is an up and down thing. I think that these are connected points that she's trying to help. And she's taking charge in a way that it's understandable that she thought this was the direction that was necessary and that this is the direction she she felt pushed as a leader. But eventually, I think the the point of the ending of the of the series is that she's going to revert back from back from this and that this is this is not her getting stronger, but this is a a dip in her trying to figure out what leadership is and that when she pulls back from it at the end, the last three or four episodes, that's when she's actually taking up the more mature, more autonomous Buffy role. Okay. I'm glad you said that because that is another element that I, I can't remember about the season. If she follows this general Buffy pattern all the way through to the end, or if, as you said, she, she kind of figures out that it's not working and she goes back to being more autonomous and, and, uh, you know, breaking the mold. I think it's going to take faith coming in and challenging her from a perspective where faith, at least at first appears much more reasonable than she, she does. Mm -hmm. And I think that seeing faith come off as more reasonable will challenge Buffy to realize that she's gone too far. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad that's something to look forward to. Cause I honestly couldn't remember. 
Um, I, I know that we've got the episode coming up. I have the episode coming up with, uh, when Buffy gets kicked out of the house. I think that is that lies. My parents told me, is that the episode that happens? Not sure. Okay. It's some, somewhere up up there. Um, and I know that's a huge controversial moment. That's a line in the sand for a lot of fans that, uh, uh, that's another one of those sort of polarizing moments where a lot of maybe even most fans think that that was just completely wrong of everybody to kick her out of the house and everything. And maybe it is, we'll see how I feel about it when I get back to it on this rewatch. But I tend to always think of that as the moment where, uh, Buffy is sort of shocked back, shocked out of her, this general phase or whatever that she's in. Um, and I do know one of my earlier guests pointed out that, uh, that's when Spike really gets to serve his purpose. Like the reason that he's stuck around basically is to be the one who will support her and give her the inner strength to get through all of that. Yeah. And, and Spike, I'm going to, is okay. Another topic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, and Spike, I'm kind of like talking about the role that Spike is playing and also um, the role that Andrew is playing mm -hmm. in these three episodes. And going back to this question that, that I brought up a, a little bit previously, so we're, we're kind of wondering about Buffy's trajectory and how Buffy's dealing with leadership. And Andrew is on his own trajectory as is Spike on dealing with becoming good mm -hmm. and what it means to become good and the various ways in which a lot of these characters have had their touches with evil and they all are handling it or being treated differently. And this is being very openly discussed with respect to Andrew, who no one is willing to trust, even though he seems like, like, you know, very cuddly, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, I want to say teddy bear. He seems nice and cuddly, and he's he's much more interested in getting a microwave than he is in being evil. Right. Um. Yeah, and when the first appears to him as Jonathan, he we even get that moment where, um, I think I think Andrew, I think it's Andrew that says, um, yeah, because the first is like, do you really think they're going to let you on their team? You're a murderer or whatever, and he's like, well, actually. I think a lot of them are murderers. <laughs> yes. So that's not really a barrier to entry. Um, yeah. I, uh, as I've said before, I will never forgive Andrew for being the one who killed my beloved Jonathan, but I do actually like Andrew and I, and I like seeing him. I love redemption arcs. And even though you could argue that his redemption arc is, a, is handled really quickly. Um, whereas spike has been on a slow and, and, uh, back and forth redemption arc for five or six seasons at this point. Um, I also don't think Andrew has quite as much to come back from as Spike does, but um, I really enjoy him in these episodes where uh, he's, he feels like he's found a place that he could fit in uh, potentially. There's that word again. And um, where he at least, he at least pays lip service to the fact that he knows he's going to have to, pay the piper when this is all over that he's going to have to pay for what he did to Jonathan. He may not fully acknowledge what that means yet, but um, at least it's starting to kind of sink in. And, and, 
And I think part of what is making him struggle is the, the question of why are there disparities in how the different characters who've had their touches with evil are being reintegrated back into the group. Of course, part of it's just human because he's not being reintegrated. He wasn't in the group. Right. And, and so he's, he's, they're not going to trust him as, as much as they're going to trust Willow. Um, but there's the exchange in, in this episode potential where he points out how many people Spike has killed versus Andrew, who's, who's mainly Jonathan. And Buffy replies that uh, Andrew has free will. And Andrew says the line, I hate my free will. That's a great line. I love it. And of course, this is going to come up in the very next episode where where Spike keeps talking about how there was a choice. Right. And, and so... They're, they're, they're definitely setting up this idea that these characters are dealing with their touches of evil. They're dealing with how to get redemption. They're dealing with how to get accepted. And it's clearly connected to them, the choices that they're making and whether, you know, making up for bad choices by making good choices. Right. Um, so I feel like there's two big things I need to get off my chest for while we're still in this episode before we fully move on. One is that the Buffy speechifying really kicks in in earnest. And like, this is the point I, I'd mentioned previously that um, we started to see her speechifying and that uh, so far they've just been kind of, I kind of roll my eyes at them. There's only been one before this that I thought was, that really felt effective to me. And that was when she killed the Turrican while the potentials watched and the speech she gave there. I was like that that felt like an effective speech, but this is the episode where I can officially say that Buffy's speechifying has already grown exhausting. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already uh, tired of it. Um, but, Oh, I guess there were, there are three things. Cause there's that. I wanted to make sure we mentioned the speechifying thing, which is only going to get worse. Then there's the fact that um, not once, but twice in this episode, uh, Buffy and then Dawn, mischaracterize the slayer line again they continue yes. to just double down on the notion that when buffy dies a new slayer will be called and that is absolutely not the way it works <laughs> and the scooby gang knows that so you could almost say well buffy's just simplifying this while she's talking to the potentials she doesn't need to complicate it by saying actually i'm not really the slayer anymore um but when dawn brings this whole thing up and the Scoobies are there, they all know the truth. And yet they still like, like Dawn says something like, um, if I, if I were a potential, that means Buffy has to die. Buffy has to die for me to become the next slayer. And, uh, no one in the room is like, no, no dear. Buffy doesn't have to die. Faith has to die. And you don't care about faith. <laughs> so, um, that's just, that's never going to not, uh, bug me when they do that. And, and of course, it, it kind of gives it's, it's an attempt to give some weight to the idea of what it means to be a potential and how it's it's a dark thing. Right. But 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 definitely, you know, there is a question of would it be as dark if it was Faith who had to die? I mean, it is Faith who has to die for me personally. That's yeah. darker because I adore Faith. But. And um, so the third thing is we need to talk about Dawn's role in this episode, because I I actually kind of think the title potential role applies more to Dawn than to 
anything else here. Um, yeah. I mean, the potentials themselves are almost secondary. I know they go through the hole facing the vampire, but um, really for me, the story is about Dawn um, mm-hmm. sort of being misled to think that she is a potential and how she outwardly fights against that and, and is horrified by that. And I do like the emotion in the scene where she says, for me to become the Slayer, Buffy would have to die patently false but i still like the emotion that she's undergoing there um and i am i am admittedly always an emotional person people who know me know this um and especially for the past few months i've just been on on an exceptionally bumpy (laughs) emotional roller coaster but um for whatever reason xander's talk with dawn at the end of this episode uh hit me way harder than I think it ever has before. Like I've always really appreciated that moment and I've always thought that was a great Xander moment, but this time it really hit me hard. And, uh, and I think I would put this as Xander's for me, this is like Xander's best moment in the entire series. Better than the crayons, better, better than the yellow crayon, which my friend Arlo will, uh, burn me an effigy for saying that because he adores the yellow crayon speech. But <laughs> I just, I, I felt more emotional resonance in this speech than I did in the yellow crayon speech. And and I, I want to kind of start with something I was reading online when, when I was researching for this episode, that there's this question of, do all the characters remember the seasons prior to Dawn differently than than we saw them? And, you know, because Don has memories right. of everything that happened, and their memories include Don, mm-hmm. which means none of them remember the prior episodes the way we watched them. And so that that's something that's kind of weird because, like, I think they, they uh, Oz comes up, uh-huh. and, and Don knows who Oz is. Right. But Don never met Oz. Right. And... There's something weird about kind of keying in on on the one. So I, I want I'm, I'm going to get to the point where I agree with you and I, I'd say it why I like the speech. But before that, <laughs> there's something weird about the fact that Don is very much not normal. Yeah, Don is the least normal person on the show. Right. With all the vampires and demons and gods, Don is a key. Right. And so she's not at all normal. <laughs> That, yes, um, which I'm glad. Uh, again, I don't remember if it ever bubbles back up again in this season, but I'm glad that she, as a character, has more or less emotionally moved on from that existential crisis of "I'm not a real person." Is this my blood or whatever? Which was a, a fantastic scene. This is my blood, one of my favorite scenes. But um, I'm just glad that she is settling into feeling like a normal person. But you're absolutely right. Um, when you look at all of the main cast, she really is. Technically, she's the most supernatural of all of them because she's yeah. an artificially created being. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that I've thought of the series, like how the existence of Dawn affects previous series, previous seasons. I'm sure I've thought of that before, but I don't regularly think about how all of the characters remember the seasons that we watched 
Like, yeah. like it's a totally different show for them now. <laughs> even, <laughs> even once they become aware of the reality of Dawn, I assume that the artificial memories are still in place. Yeah. So. And, and they would have no idea. Like they might literally have no idea where the cutoff is. Right. Right. Like they might have a vague sense, but maybe not. So they don't know which of the memories are false. Yeah. Well, Xander clearly gets over that because I know that in the comics we go on to have a Xander and Dawn relationship. So, <laughs> so, so let me say, let me go to agreeing with you. And it's kind of, um, so, so in philosophy, we have a debate between existentialists and essentialists, mm-hmm. but, but no one ever hears about the essentialists. We, everyone, everyone wants to be an existentialist. So it's a sad debate. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the existentialists believe that you, you choose meaning for yourself and, and, it's up to you who you are and what you want to be. And, and um, the essentialist holds the opposite view that you have a destiny and, and you have to fit into your destiny. And okay. there's, and we have uh, Joss Whedon has clear that he sees himself as an existentialist, but this, the speech from Xander's is very much kind of, it's okay if your destiny is boring and that's just who you are. You kind of just give yourself to it. And this goes back to the, the point that Buffy all these seasons has been struggling with being special and having that specialness forced upon her. In this episode, she's forcing that specialness onto the potentials mm-hmm. and at the same time, Xander is saying, kind of, kind of embrace that it's okay not to have specialness thrust upon you. And, and there's, a, a, there's a kind of a, if you're good at looking at the world in the right way, you can see these things positively. But if, if you're more cynical and, and, and bitter like myself, <laughs> this all sounds horrible because the people who are special feel horrible that the specialness was forced upon them. And the people who are normal wish they had some of that stuff. Right. And so sure that, so I like Xander's speech a lot. I like that they're trying to come to grips with this. At the same time, I'm wondering, is either side happy? Like both sides seem to be struggling with what the, the, what destiny has put in front of them. Well, so let me ask you, do you, do you think that Xander genuinely like in his heart of hearts believes that speech that he gives her at the end, or is it more of, he's just trying to make her feel better. And I, and to be clear, I think he does. I, I read it as, I mean, I think he makes her feel better. I read it as, um, uh, you know, she almost, she tears up as he's saying all this, uh, and, as he walks away, you know, she kind of catches her breath and she clearly gets a look of focus back on her face and she goes back to reading. Like he, he got her through that moment. Now she feels like she's comfortable doing what she can do. And, um, but do you think that he, that Xander actually is an essentialist? That's what you're saying, right? That Xander is arguing from the essentialist point of view. 
Yeah, and that he's accepting, he's trying to accept his destiny. Right. And the, and the, and the question would be, is he going, is he succeeding at that in this moment? I'm not sure. And I'm also not sure because in a, in a large way, Xander is underselling himself. And, and Don points that out, right? He's had, he's had different powers a couple of times at least. And, you know, the, he had that episode where he had, you know, he, he I'm 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 losing words. You know the the he had those military abilities thrust upon right. him. Right. She says time. something like, "Well, you had your sexy military face for a little while or something." Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and of which, course, which which again, she wasn't around for, but she remembers it. Yes. Yes. And 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 and, and there's something strange about the fact that, you know, Xander. I'll just use myself, Xander. Compared to me, very special guy. I'll just admit. You know, here on your podcast, I can't kill vampires. <laughs> if if, if now, I get into a fight with a vampire, I'm dying. Have you There's ever tried? Have you ever tried? Don't undersell yourself. No, no, I am certain of this. There's <laughs> no chance whatsoever that I will kill a vampire. I, I will lose so quickly. Like I could have all the weapons they have at their in their arsenal. I will lose. But but Xander kills vampires on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, and. And he is also constantly part of the team that's saving the world. I'll, I'll just admit, I have not saved the world. I, I have not done that. And and so there's there's something strange about the fact that he's underselling himself by saying he's normal compared to Buffy or compared to Willow. Mm-hmm. But, but so is 99.999% of the population. Right. He's not normal compared to the rest of us. Right. And 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 there's something weird about that because he's not embracing how how much he has already accomplished and how much he he's capable of accomplishing on his own. Right. Even even without Buffy. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean even though I think this is a better speech than the yellow crayon, he is he is forgetting that he he saved the world with his yellow crayon speech. Yes. <laughs> Anyways. So for those keeping track at home, not a fan of Buffy's speeches, but I am a big fan of Xander's speech, at least in this instance. Um, and, and, and just, just to kind of uh, piggyback on that, I think in part that's because we can, we can feel where Xander's coming from. Whereas Buffy's speeches have this kind of weird effect of you guys should be like me, where everyone listening is thinking to themselves, I can't be like you. Right. And and what a weird thing that you would think that I could be. Andrew gets a another great moment in here where he it's played off for laughs, but I also just think in the context of Buffy the series, it... it reads pretty well when he says, you know, it's almost like this sort of metaphor for womanhood, isn't it? This sort of flowering that happens when a girl realizes that she's part of a fertile heritage stretching back to Eve. I mean, everybody rolls their eyes at that, but that's, I mean, that speaks to the series as a whole, doesn't it? <laughs> and and Xander says, I, I, I'll pay you to talk about Star Wars. Yeah? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Which just just a quick point that I don't really a question that I have no idea what the answer is. It seems pretty clear that Andrew is gay. Yes. But they seem to not want to be explicit about that. Which since they have lesbian characters, I don't know why they're not the show's not willing to just be like okay with being open with that. Yeah, I can't I feel like maybe this has come up in previous episodes of the podcast and I, but I don't remember where I came down on it. I can't remember how intentional that that decision was. I I have the sense that it just sort of gradually happened like they they threw with the character of Anders since he was new, they just threw a couple of one-off jokes here or there and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and that just sort of gathered, you know, gathered speed and um now it's become like you said an unspoken truth about that character which i feel like has been made pretty overt but you're right they just never come right out and say it and again forgetting what happens in the season i don't think they ever make it explicit do they i don't think they do okay i don't think so um i mean it seems pretty obvious from his behavior and the things that he says like the end of this no, it wasn't that it wasn't the end of that episode. It's the next one where he No, damn it, it's first date. When he comes back after having yet another demon girl date. Damn it. Uh and he's like, That's it, I'm going gay now. Turn me gay. Come on, let's get our gay on. I'm picturing uh Scott Bakula undressing, and then of course Andrew's like, mm, Captain Archer. <laughs> um I think the show yeah. makes it pretty clear, but yeah, you're right. They just never come out and say it. Yeah, and it, it and and yeah, exactly. It's it's not just that they make it clear with like innuendo or or something. It's that it's he's pretty like it's almost as if Andrew's open, but the show's not open. Right. And and I don't. There's a weird tension there that I don't understand why they would have been uncomfortable with that. I don't know. I wonder if uh, so. This is 2003 when these episodes were airing. Um. I wonder if they had to fight. So I don't know. There's any number of reasons I could posit. Yeah. Maybe it was easier right or wrong. And let's, let's just say it outright. It's wrong. Um, uh, maybe it was easier to get lesbian content into network television stuff than it was to get homosexual stuff in. Um, or maybe there's, there's a, a finite amount of, uh, lesbian or gay material that the network would let them get in. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Willow and uh, Kennedy checked off the box, and the network wouldn't let them go any further with it. Or, or maybe the writers were just more uncomfortable with a, you know, a male character than a female character. And if if I want to be charitable, it might also be that Andrew's not a positive character, whereas Willow is meant to be a positive character. Yeah. And I mean, that seems pretty harsh to Andrew, but you're right. I mean, <laughs> you're right. Um, true. I guess the, um, who was it? Um, is it Ford, Peter Ford or, or uh, the, the character on the swim team or whatever from early seasons that, um, the show only ever confirmed was gay after the fact, like after the character wasn't on the show anymore, there was an offhand mention of, Oh yeah, he turned out to 
he turned out to be gay. But I don't remember. Never while he was on on the show. But it's killing me that I can't remember who that was. Anyways, I'm sure I'm sure the listeners know who I'm talking about. They're smarter than I am. All right, let's move on. Man, we spent a lot of time kind of focusing on that episode. Let's move on to the killer in me, um, which I think um, I enjoyed potential. But I think each one of these episodes for me personally gets a little bit better than the one before. Um, mm-hmm. So I really liked the killer in me. Um not least of all because it finally deals with the chip in Spike's head, which all this season I've been like, are we just, is that just a thing that's there and we don't really want to mention it anymore? But what do you think about this episode? So it's, it's another title that can have uh, multiple meanings, the killer and me. So, mm-hmm. so the, the, uh, the primary thing it's about is Willow. But it's just as much about Spike, mm-hmm. and it's just as much about uh, Andrew. I'm trying to remember, there's other people that it could be about, but I'm not as sure as how many people have killed people. Like, I don't remember Amy ever killed people. First seems like someone who would kill people. Who does? Who seems like Amy? Amy? Yeah, that's why I'm thinking so hard because it does seem like she should have done that. But um, yeah, you're right. Maybe she hasn't directly. And then Giles. Giles has directly. Yes. Yeah. So lots of people that could be referred to by the title "The Killer and Me," and in various ways the episode is about each of them dealing with the fact that they're a killer less Giles, but definitely Willow spike and Andrew and Amy's definitely dealing with her kind of, it's almost like she's jealous that Willow got to be a killer and get away with it. Right. Right. And so they're all dealing with this kind of killer instinct inside of them and trying to figure out how they can recover, how they can redeem themselves, how they can become, you know, upstanding per- persons who are trustable after having killed somebody. Yeah, the thing, man, I'm getting hung up on that. What is Amy a killer? I'm trying to think of ways that you could say even indirectly she was, but I don't know. Um, I'm hung up. The thing with Amy that I'm I'm hung up on is this is the last appearance of Amy. Finally, officially. I mean, until you get into the comics. uh, Officially, this is the last appearance of Amy. Um, And to the best of my knowledge, I know she comes back in the comics, and I know they do a stupid thing with her and Warren in the comics that we don't need to discuss here. But uh, in terms of this episode, she's never really dealt with. I mean, she does... She's the cause of mm-hmm. uh, the sort of monster of the week element, um, but she just, you know, disappears off camera, and as far as I know, is never mentioned again. I kind of, I kind of like that in fitting with the theme of the episode because, on the surface, Amy's the villain of the episode, mm-hmm. but deep down, the the 
the hex that Amy did was meant to use Willow's subconscious to punish Willow herself. Right. So Willow's really like, not literally, but in a figurative sense, Willow is the villain of the episode and it's Willow punishing Willow. Right. And a Amy's just the medium through which this punishment is being given to Willow because Willow feels she deserves this punishment. And, and so I kind of like the idea that they don't need to go get Amy. They just need to deal with the fact that Willow feels she deserves punishment. And then there's a question of, does she actually deal with that? Which go, takes us to the ending. I'm, I'm not sure how you felt about the ending. but uh, About what? About her seemingly having a breakthrough? Yeah, and whether that was whether they earned the breakthrough, whether it actually got dealt with that Willow is the one who's trying to overcome her guilt and and her guilt that she deserves. She she did horrible things. She what? tried to end the world, right. and, and I like the world. <laughs> I, I live here. That's where I keep my stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think this episode highlights. Um, what overall is my biggest, uh, broadest reaching complaint of the season as a whole is the fact that it's, they try to cram so much stuff into it and it feels rushed and any, any two or three of the, the longer storylines that are running throughout, weaving throughout this season would have been enough for, yeah. for a full season, yeah. but they're layering so much stuff in there. So for example, um, I think maybe if the season felt less crowded and rushed than it did, even just getting what we get with Willow might feel more satisfying than it ultimately does. Um, like even if they hadn't given us more of a, of a payoff and, and her storyline had been exactly what it is. If the season didn't feel as overstuffed, it might've felt more satisfying. Um, as it is, it just feels like one more thread that doesn't get its the amount of focus that it deserves. Um, another being uh, Kennedy, who uh, mm -hmm. I'm just going to add to my list of controversial characters that I'm okay with. <laughs> I like Dawn. I liked Riley. I, I guess I'll say I like Kennedy. Basically, I'll say I don't hate Kennedy the way everybody else seems to. Um, I feel like the character just suffers from not having enough time uh, mm -hmm. to be fully developed. And so in the moment, like in this episode, I was, I was invested in her relationship with Willow and I liked the two of them together. And, and uh, you know, I like the payoff that we get, but it's, it's ultimately not really enough. Like the character, I think deserved more time to get developed. And there, there's just is not enough time in this season to do all the stuff they want to do. I, I agree with you, and I agree on the idea that I, I like Kennedy. Mm -hmm. I, I think that in a strange way, to kind of make a, a meta comment about the episode, it's almost as if they wrote the first major episode about Kennedy to respond to the hatred the fans would feel later. Because, <laughs> of course, the fans are going to hate the person who replaces Tara. Right. And of course they're going to feel like Will hasn't really 
that Willow shouldn't be over it yet. And Willow's going to have to deal with the fact that, you know, her great love died and it was a horrible death. And, and, and Willow, we find out in this episode, Willow kind of blames herself. Mm-hmm. And for her to just suddenly be able to fall in love again, it does feel too soon. And it's, and it's going to make fans angry. And it's almost as if they were thinking all of that when they wrote the episode because they didn't want us to be angry at the very things that it kind of made sense to be angry at. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, I I don't have any anecdotal evidence to support this, but I just, as a viewer, I get the sense that we're in the part of the season where the writers are like, man, we don't have much time left um and so we need to start sort of closing some doors and and you know crossing some t's and dotting some i's and so getting tara or getting willow over tara we need to if we're going to do that we need to do it um giving her a new love interest if that's going to happen is basically it's got to happen now um so yeah again if 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 any of this stuff had been given uh, more space and, and maybe a little more time to to gel with the audience. I don't think it would feel quite as unsatisfying or or I, I, fans might not have been as pissed off about it. It is worth mentioning this episode, last appearance of Amy, also the very last mention of Tara ever. Oh, really? Supposedly, according to Wikipedia, at least, um, this is the last time the name Tara is ever mentioned. Oh, that sounds very like a very purposeful choice. <laughs> so yes, that is the that's the show saying we're done with Tara. <laughs> Willow <laughs> and us are moving on. We're done with Tara. Yeah, and which is unfortunate, and, and, but yeah, and and that will it, it's it's like they're trying to not piss off the fans in a way that will sure off the fans. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you know you're about to piss someone off and you, you just work too hard to avoid it, you end up pissing them off more. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't I, – I will continue to give the writers grief for the stuff that I, that I you know, dislike or I'm unsatisfied with. But you really got to kind of feel for them. <laughs> this is <laughs> – I mean, the stuff I feel like could have been handled better. But regardless, this is the position they found themselves in and they had to start wrapping some stuff up. And I'm I'm sure – like, um, uh, Amber Benson did not want to come back on the show. They had, they planned yeah. for, uh, where did I, okay, hang on. I need to, I need to find this because this is something that I hadn't been aware of, but, um, yeah. So in Nikki Stafford's bite me, the unofficial guide to Buffy, the vampire slayer, uh, she had an interview with David Fury and uh, she quotes him as saying that Tara was going to be a bigger part of season seven. The first was going to take one single form this year and it was going to be Tara. So their intention had been that Tara would be the recurring form of evil for the last season. And the fact that Amber, ben- I, I hadn't, don't think I'd heard that before that she was going to be throughout the whole season, but I definitely knew that they had plans to use her. And because that the actress didn't want to come back on the show, they had to scramble at, I guess, essentially the last minute to try and, you know, fill in some holes. Uh, My memory is she was supposed to be on conversations with dead people. She was. 
and yeah. and they ended up using um uh Cassie instead because they couldn't get Terra but um anyways so while I'm I'm frustrated and upset at some of the stuff the writers did I'm also like <laughs> it must have been rough it must have been rough in the writers room yeah. to try and uh, uh endings are tough under the best of circumstances and I don't feel like this is the best of circumstances yeah and it's is if you remember is firefly on right now during the season i i don't think firefly starts until 2004 um let me google that this is something that always goes great on podcasts <laughs> when the host <laughs> stops to do a google search um that, that's why i listen to podcasts is to to listen to people do google right searches. Yeah. All right. So it premiered. Oh, I stand corrected. It premiered uh, September 2002. So, yes, it was probably not on air as this was going. Uh, it, I think it had probably already been canceled at this point. Yeah, that's right. It was canceled before this episode. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, be, yeah, because Nathan Fillion comes in later in the season, and it was it's because he was already done with Firefly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, another thing that I'm just never going to let up on that uh, gets rushed or sort of mismanaged because of the way the season just has to keep rolling forward is Spike's chip, the malfunctioning chip. Um, the idea of that ship malfunctioning and then Buffy coming the, to the decision to trust in his newly restored soul enough to have the chip removed. I feel like that deserved at least its own full episode, if not a larger arc running through the season. And the fact that it really yeah, just kind of gets, course. you know, crammed into one episode that's also dealing with other stuff at the same time uh, feels unfair to me. And and it's also, um, you know, this is going to come up next episode when when um, I believe it's the next episode when Giles it's, finds out. Yeah, it gets very that, upset that they took out the chip. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a parallel. It's it's a, somewhat of a parallel to when we don't know that Spike has given up his soul, and like the the actual decision to give up his soul is never verbalized on screen. We just learn about it later. And so similarly, we don't see the actual decision to take out. Well, hang on. This is one of those moments that I must have 100% blacked out. When does he give up his soul? Wait. So there's controversy about this, right? But... You mean you mean to get his soul back? Is that what you're talking about? I said it incorrectly. Yes, okay. But but you had <laughs> me fooled. You had me fooled. I was like, wait, does he give up his soul later in the season? What is going on here? No, you mean yeah, the the we this, never This is how my classes go. <laughs> I just say the opposite thing. And if students are paying attention, they'll catch it. I see. It's it's an intentional uh thing that you're doing. It's a teaching method. <laughs> keeping us engaged um okay yeah so you're you're talking about the controversy over whether spike actually intended to get his soul back yes 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 and and, and that 
the 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 big decision shown on screen and similarly here the actual decision to um get rid of the chip mm-hmm. is not shown on screen right and so we're not sure like was this a easy decision was there a lot of debate like how did they make this decision how much of it was buffy and how much of it was spike we just find out in the next episode that they completely removed the chip right also i'm i'm you know i would this is now getting into like the details but why would the initiative be okay with this why would they trust spike i mean she's super lucky it's kind of hand waved by saying you know agent finn told us that you were that you got to make all these decisions and we'll we'll abide by whatever decision you make um but yeah again if that had been if that had been the main plot of this entire episode, I'm sure the initiative, I'm sure those soldiers that were there under orders from agent Finn probably would have, at least one of them would have been like, I totally disagree. I'm going against my orders from agent Finn and I'm going to, I will not allow you to remove the chip from spike. But which, uh, which raises the question, how high is, is, is Riley now in the initiative? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you're off camera, you can be promoted pretty quick. <laughs> He he wasn't beloved when he was there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I don't know the sheer amount of stuff that the writers, uh, I'm going to say chose to try and deal with in this final season. Um, it's, it, it's just baffling and it, it all but cripples what could have been a much more compelling tale, um, where we would have focused on spike and willow. Um, as parallels of characters learning to come back from doing terrible things. And, uh, and let, speaking of parallels, let me just turn real quickly um, to the parallel that Willow, the, the hex happens, the spell happens mm-hmm. at the moment of Willow's happiness, which of course recalls Angel. Right. I think it's the case, the Angel episode that would be airing around now. Does Angel? Um, I think it's. I looked this up actually. It's. I it's think so... it's Soulless. Yeah. Okay, and that's when. That's when, uh, in order, I can't remember what they're trying to find out, but they they remove Angel's soul to try and get information, right? Yeah, about the beast. About the beast, that's right. Yeah, so and that would have aired the next day. The Angel episode would have come the day after the Buffy episode. Okay. And so it would have been on the viewers' minds who are watching in real time that Willow's losing her... She's losing... She's she's losing herself. She's, right. She's become a a super by having a kiss right and so the parallel with angel is is very clear and of course it it's part of a larger part of the show about how none of these characters seem to easily find happiness mm-hmm. like they all seem to struggle with with can just be happy as you know we we discuss we don't know if Buffy had a birthday and we missed it or if Buffy's refusing to, to celebrate her birthday. Spike 
is clearly not able to, to just live a normal life and be happy himself, then then in the next episode, we're going to have a lot of, of jealousy as, as people try to start dating. But, of course, none of that's going to work out okay. Right. Uh, so, so there's this kind of theme of in the they all start as as not all not spike but they start as as good guys in season one we've now gone seven seasons they've all done something bad at some point and now they're they're trying to just be happy and it's not clear whether they can i yeah no i agree and i know that um certainly given that it's the final season of a long running series, they, they wanted to give every character sort of uh, scenery to chew or whatever. They wanted to focus on every character and because it's her, her show, because she's the titular hero of the show, of course, Buffy needed to have a, a big meaty plot, but I just feel like the end of season six was said. It was a perfect setup for the following season to address Spike's arc and Willow's arc. Like both of those storylines felt like these need to have big answers given to us next season. And, and it's just so crowded with other stuff uh, that we get those answers. I ultimately, but they don't feel like thought out. They don't feel very well handled. They feel rushed and clumsy, but yeah. Anyways. And I'm not entirely sure that Buffy gets a satisfying like a big meaty role herself for this final season, arguably with the last episode, which will be something that I discuss <laughs> when I get to yeah. the final episode. But um, yeah, let's, let's move on. Oh, I did. I did have one nip. I, I wanted to shout out Megalyn. A chick awoke. I think maybe is how a chick. Unwoke. Anyway, she's the, she's the actress that played the leader of the, the Wiccan group um and she's uh been in all sorts of uh, genre properties but i know her uh from the criminally underappreciated sci-fi series the 4400 i don't know if you've ever uh -huh. heard of that show oh yeah i loved that show when it was on and she she was one of the main characters in that uh which also is the show that gave us mahershala ali <laughs> i will just always be grateful to the 4400 for that she, anyway. She's basically the Buffy character in that show. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, the most powerful one among lots of people with weird powers. Right, yes. <laughs> it's a great show, people. You need to go check it out. Um, but I did have just the one nitpick about um, Spike talking. What was it he said? He was talking about how when they're breaking back into the initiative um, to look for clues. And he's explaining how when he was there, when he was being held there, the chip would occasionally go off while he was being feisty or whatever. I don't remember how he explained it. Um, and he'd be, you know, racked with blinding pain. And then the initiative would have to drug him for a little while. That's not how I remember it. Didn't he, he didn't know that he even had the chip until he had already escaped from the initiative and tried to attack a girl in an alley or something. Right. Right. That's so, right. Yeah. It's just one of those little details that why did they add that detail in there when they knew we could <laughs> us obsessive fans could go back and look and be, be like that's but that's not really what happened anyways i i often wonder how hard it is to write like some shows you just feel like the writers aren't even trying at all uh-huh 
And then some shows you think there's some details they get wrong, but how hard is it? Like, yeah. How much do you, before writing the next season, do you have to watch the six previous seasons <laughs> so you don't make these mistakes? Right. And, and, and would I do that if it was my job? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure I would not be able to juggle all the details of a show like this, but that's why you have a show Bible. That's why you pay someone to keep track of all this stuff for you. That, that, that's why I got so angry when I was watching Fringe and they basically retconned their entire series and, and just put them in an alternative world and never went back. <laughs> that, that way the writers don't have to remember anything that happened. I was going to say, at least that's an explanation. They're like, you know what? Let's just start over from scratch. They're in a new world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but what about Amy? Amy's explanation when she's confronted with why she did it, which... On the one hand, I think she's making some good points. On the other hand, it's Amy being Amy. Yes. Right? And yeah. she's completely keeping away any personal responsibility. She's she's both admitting that she's the one who committed the crime at hand uh-huh. and then saying, but really it wasn't me at all because it's based on your subconscious. So if Willow hadn't manifested something horrible, she'd be fine. Right. Um, yeah, plus... Plus, she's she's talking. She's sort of whining about not being forgiven for the sins of her past, which, to be fair to her, as a as a an, an autonomous character, presumably who has a life off camera, um, we don't know what her life has been like since season six because we right. focused on Willow, um, and so if what Amy is whining about, if will if Amy feels rejected by the Scooby Gang, well, she was just like Andrew. She was never a member of the Scooby gang. True. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they, they are working to forgive Willow because she's their friend. Amy really wasn't their friend. Um, so I, you know, I have to sort of twist my brain to allow for an on an off camera life for this character of Amy, who has probably been suffering since season six and she's upset about it. But when you're watching it as a show, you're like, what what <laughs> what is it you feel uh, you're being punished for? Because it looks like you're doing pretty well hanging out with this group of Wiccans and yeah. But so I, I also though one of her good points though is she talks about how powerful Willow is and she clearly is jealous of Willow's power. Uh-huh. But then she says, "But Willow's really weak. Willow's the weak one because she gave into evil." And there's something that's a nice little moment of kind of thinking about we're all always talking about how powerful they are, but you know, there's a different kind of power, the power of not, not becoming evil, right? Not doing the wrong thing when you have to make a tough choice, no matter how bad things are in your life at that moment, you can't destroy the world. Right. (laughs) Um, I was trying to think, uh, as she was talking about Willow that way and saying things like, you know, stuff always came easy for her. Um, while we, while the rest of us had to work twice as hard to get half as much or whatever. Right. And for some reason I was trying to, I was listening to that and I was trying to think of Willow in terms of the geek girl that she used Mm -hmm. to be. And 
for some reason at first I was trying to I was trying to push back and say wait no that's not how it is but that is sort of the narrative that gets attached to like the smart kids in school or whatever yeah the kids who aren't as smart like you know the jocks or whatever the kids who just don't aren't as geeky and intelligent as as the the nerds or whatever they would characterize it as saying well grades always came easy to her and I had to work you know twice as hard just to get a c in that class or whatever on the other hand i i often find myself getting jealous of people who can be superheroes at night and still like <laughs> go to school in the day <laughs> yeah when, when did you, you know i i'm imagining amy kind of puttering around with magic in their little group and and you know not even having to save the world at night and and willow somehow is gaining all these powers while still getting A's in school and saving the world at night. Yeah. So she's she's finding ways to become powerful while having a, a lot of other stuff in, that she has to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, man, I... Amy, as far as I know, and I, I don't re- I think it's in season eight. I think it's in the first season of the comics that they bring Amy back... And they bring uh, Warren back and they attach those, like they connect those two characters. I don't know. Amy, if I remember correctly in the comics, Amy goes on to become an even more problematic character than she already is (laughs) now. But (laughs) anyways, all right, let's move on to a first date, Um, which I think is my favorite of the three. Um, And part of that, to be fair, Part of that might be uh, because of D.B. Woodside, Principal Wood, um, who I've always really liked Principal Wood. um, But I think at this particular moment during this rewatch, I am particularly in love with Principal Wood because um, I'm also particularly in love with the character he plays on Lucifer. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you watch that show. But he plays uh, the angel Amenadiel on that show, and I adore him on that show. So coming back and watching him, you know, 17 years ago um, (laughs) uh, as a as a somewhat similar character. I don't know. I was like he was the character I was focused on in this episode for some reason. I, I just totally loved him here. So that's probably why I'm higher on this episode than maybe I otherwise would have been. I think I, I've I've liked him in pretty much everything he's been in. He was he was in The Temptations, which was a great movie. Yeah, probably not not necessarily the same genre as Buffy. <laughs> right, right. Well, but, Buffy but had a musical had a episode. episode. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. So, tell me your thoughts on this episode. So, starting again with the title that has multiple meanings. Mm-hmm. Um, I so. There's obviously two first dates going on. Um, I, I feel like I'm possibly straining myself, but I, I can't imagine it was accidentally done that that you have first in the title, and the first obviously is hanging out with Andrew. So I feel like maybe they think something's there, or maybe I'm just stretching, but I feel like there's something going on there. Um but I like this episode too. And I think I like the ways in which they're kind of struggling with 
can they go on to a normal life? And the answer is clearly no. And and with Buffy, that's that's right on the surface because on the one hand, she thinks that maybe her date is evil. Mm-hmm. And she kind of presents it as, I'm going to, on this date in part to find out if my if, if Wood is evil, if Principal Wood is evil. But she secretly hopes that he's not evil and that she might get a boyfriend who is human. And, you know, and, you know, I guess she had a human boyfriend before, but like a regular human boyfriend. Right. And so Xander, on the other hand, he kind of believes his dates, a normal human and he's actually having a real date. But, but obviously he, he jokes about it that with his luck, it surely is going to be a demon of some kind. And so there's definitely kind of this, it, 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 takes us back to season one yes and you know the the beginnings of the show where buffy was desperately trying to cling to a normal life especially when we had the speech back in potential where she's telling the potentials to give up on the normal life they're they've been chosen they should be happy with that they're never going to be normal possibly she's given up on having birthdays and now (laughs) she's trying again to have a date indicating she's still She's still clinging to, can she have a normal life? And as you mentioned, she's proud of being a counselor, even Mm -hmm. though everyone kind of mocks her job, including her boss. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel like this episode particularly, and this one's written by Jane Espenson. I feel like this episode particularly uh, juggles the, um, the humor with the, the more... Um, you know, theme heavy plot or whatever, the plot heavy aspect of the show Um, in moments like her actual date with Wood, where he laughs at the notion of, so you didn't hire me for my, my, you know, (laughs) counseling skills or whatever. And he laughs and she doesn't. And he's like, Oh, well, I mean, you know, that too, or whatever he says, but um, I don't know, just the interaction between all of these characters, like when, like you said, when Xander and Buffy are talking about going on, he's going on this date and he, I wish I had written this stuff down. I usually keep uh, pertinent quotes, but uh, when he's like, well, you know, knowing my luck, she'll turn out to be a demon or whatever. That whole thing, that whole conversation that they had there um, seemed very realistic to who these characters are. And it was very casual and it, um, what the characters were saying held a lot of angst but also they all seem prepared to just accept that this is their lot in life. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, until it turns out that he really, so the whole back to the beginning thing, I mean, we had, we have to go back to teacher's pet. <laughs> He's on another mm-hmm. date with, um, and, uh, you know, Buffy trying to have a normal life, but she seems very mature and accepting of the fact that, yeah, it would be great if this is a, turns out to be a normal date and who knows where it could go. But just in case, you know, I'm going to dress for the occasion or whatever. I'm going to wear something uh, that will be comfortable. I'd be comfortable slaying in. Yeah, exactly. And and I think at one point she refers to Sunnydale as, as the bidet of evil. (laughs) Yes. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, (laughs) I'm like, you know, it's it's a good one that you don't want to think too hard about. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not to have visuals here. 
Um, okay, so uh, I I want to take this opportunity to say, holy crap, I'm super impressed. Um, I I've been a little dubious about Buffy's. Uh, kindness to spike this whole season not in the sense that i don't trust it and i actually do appreciate that the character has sort of turned a corner but it almost that's another one of those things that almost feels unearned (laughs) because um even when she was in a relationship perhaps especially when she was in a relationship with spike she wasn't this understanding and forgiving of him and she seems all too willing to give him the benefit of the the doubt this season but when she gives the speech to Giles, when she defends her decision to Giles mm-hmm. and she says, you know, when Spike had that chip, it was like having him in a muzzle. It was wrong. You can't beat evil by doing evil. I yes. had, I had a moment of, wow, Buffy, look at you standing up to Giles in defense of Spike and pointing out that the taking advantage of that chip was morally dubious at best. Yeah. And, I mean, there's something odd about, and this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning about how Giles is maybe over the top with concern, Mm -hmm. but there's something odd about um, Spike has a soul now, and why don't they trust Spike's soul? Because they grew to be pretty trustful of Angel's soul, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like Giles wants a double muzzle, right? Because he wants the soul and, and the, the chip. chip. Yeah. And, and why, why isn't the soul enough? See, and this would, this was a good opportunity. This was a missed opportunity, I think. And, and again, if the season didn't feel as rushed, maybe they could have gotten this in here, but in that moment, um, I mean, I don't agree with the need for a double muzzle of a soul and a chip, Um, but perhaps Giles could have made an argument that he does want that because they did trust Angel when Angel had a soul, but then Angel lost his soul and killed Giles's girlfriend and tortured Giles. Yes. Um, and if Angel had had a chip, that wouldn't have happened. So that's just an opportunity where Giles could have pushed back even, even a little harder than he did and might have had some justification for it, whether or not we agree with that. But um, and, and, and like you said, everything's coming fast. They don't have time to really slow down. And, and you know, it's it's unfair to criticize too much. But at the same time, it's a podcast. So that's, that's what we do, right? <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we do. <laughs> so I, I want to say, and I'm going back to the conversation with, with Andrew in, in Potential, where he says he hates his free will. Yes. And so this episode starts... The, the first thing Spike says when, when Giles realizes that Spike doesn't have a chip, Spike says a, a couple of times there was a choice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's bringing us back to Andrew saying he hates his free will and Buffy saying Spike is less blameworthy because Spike doesn't have free will. Now, he does have free will now mm-hmm. because he has a soul. Right. And where free will clearly means something different for vampires than it does for people with souls now of course people with souls can freely choose to be evil right but but this also brings in the difference between angel 
had a soul forced upon him. Mm-hmm. Spike chose to have a soul, or at least so I would argue. Right. Um, it seems like Spike wouldn't have chosen to have a soul unless he planned to use it for good. Right. Whereas it's always been possible that it could have turned out that when Angel got forced to have a soul, he could have stayed evil because it might have been more comfortable to deal with his past sins. Right. If he had just embraced the evil more with a soul. Right. And so there's 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 kind of a question of should Spike be more trusted because he wanted to do this. Right. Um and I I didn't write this one down but I think at some point in the episode actually it might have followed that quote that I just read. Uh Buffy says something to the effect of um you know we he needs to be given a chance uh like he'll never he he'll never choose to be good if we don't give him the opportunity like take the chip away and and let him make that choice yeah she says that his soul will lead him to be a good man yeah 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 um i and, mean and- it's also interesting, and I'm not now. I'm not remember, remembering all the details of this conversation, but it's interesting that Giles. It, they have an unspoken concern that later becomes verified because Giles says something, but there seems to be an unspoken concern that they don't want to voice of whether, not only is Buffy making a bad decision because she's having sex with him, which is what Giles seems to be assuming, mm-hmm. but also how sex again connects to the soul, which is also kind of a, a a different weirder conversation about why sex turns you evil and why, you know, Willow's Willow's kiss with Kennedy turned her evil. But, but clearly Giles and Buffy aren't, they don't feel entirely comfortable talking about that. And, And so it's kind of just hinted at as a problem. Yeah. Well, I think she, I think she does, like he hints at that and she does say, you know, it's, it, we're different now or whatever. And he says, he kind of rolls his eyes and says, whether or not you're being physical with him, <laughs> you still have an emotional connection that is coloring your decisions or whatever. And I wanted her to push back against that. I wanted her to say, you cannot be a living, breathing, thinking human being without letting emotions affect the decisions that you make. So of course, my emotions right now are coloring my decisions because I'm human and that's what I want to be. Um, yes. And this was the whole point of getting away from the watchers council right? because the watchers council did not understand that. Right. So, which also is going back to your point that Giles is kind of reverting back to watchers council. Yeah. Um, again, in a season that had more room to breathe, that could have been an interesting thing to explore with Giles, you know, why exploring why Giles is, becoming so strict and and you know buttoned up like the other watchers uh because he's experienced like what is what's his emotional state knowing that the watchers council despite the fact that he hated them and pushed back at every opportunity um now they're all dead and gone and all of their work with them and and he might be feeling survivor's guilt for that Um, except for robson except right except for robson um who I guess never comes back. <laughs> um, anyways, 
Yeah, so I, I feel like there's some good stuff that could have been explored here in a in a season that had given it a chance. But so now I've got a couple nitpicks that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, my first WTF is why why wouldn't would know Spike was the one that killed his mother? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Because. Because he was raised, he was raised by his mother's watcher, and the, and we know for a fact that the watchers' council has all those details. The watchers' council knows that Spike killed Nikki Wood. So it just seems hard to believe that in the intervening years that he never would have come across that information. That either the his, his adoptive watcher wouldn't have told him, or he himself wouldn't have been able to figure it out. Um, so it just doesn't make sense to me that he would not know that Spike was the one that killed her. Yeah, I thought the same. Um, and then my next WTF is how exactly did they have that entire car ride with Wood glaring into the rearview mirror, presumably at Spike sitting in the back seat, who should not be appearing in his rearview mirror? <laughs> and yet it's not until they get to the school and Spike goes into vamp face that wood is like he's a vampire (laughs) (laughs) i i did not think of that (laughs) i mean two or three times in that car ride he's like wood looks up into the rearview mirror and you could think he's just glancing behind him to see to look at traffic but he is glowering into that uh mirror as if he's you know staring daggers at spike in the back seat the the best i can do is could could he be open to Spike being a different kind of demon that doesn't show up in Mirror? Um, I, maybe. Maybe. I guess you could twist the situation or, you know, you could fan it and say he's glaring in the mirror like, why can't I see him in the mirror? What, is, what does this mean? Despite the fact that I hunt vampires, what could this possibly mean? And then when he vamps out, he's like, oh, that's what that's it. He's a vampire. I get it now. I remember one time when I was in the middle of researching vampires because I have I have a, I have a nice life. Um, <laughs> so I, I came across an argument on the Internet that modern mirror vampires will show up in modern mirrors. I think it was something like we don't use mercury in mirrors anymore. And it's mercuries that that prevents their reflection. And so oh. that's something to watch out for in case you see someone in a mirror and assume they're not a vampire. It might be that modern mirrors don't don't work the same. Interesting. That's a that's a super interesting idea. Not played out in the show at all, but that is a super interesting idea. Um Okay. So what else have, what else have we got here? Um I I, I just want to point out like I'm happy that Andrew both got his microwave, and and also that he he goes through the instructions with a highlighter. Yeah, that's good study habits. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I also I like I love the way it played out. I love the fact that um, Andrew was given an opportunity to prove that he was going to like work for the good guys now. Um, but I do kind of scratch my head at what I'm almost on Giles's side when he's like, what, what did you hope to gain by secretly recording the first? <laughs> like, first of all, how did you even know that was going to work? And what did you think you were going to get out of it? Um, 
but I mean, clearly Andrew was sent in there to try and to try and find out any weaknesses or whatever, which that's all a good idea, but it should have been a better person than Andrew trying to do that because <laughs> they should have known Andrew's not good at subterfuge like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, it, it, it's definitely, I mean, I kind of like the plan, you know, you, you always get the information you're hoping to, you, you try to get some information. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, it's one of the things about TV plans like that tend to always work out because they're written to work out. Right. And, and you often wonder like, why would you admit something like that? Like yeah. why, why do villains suddenly reveal their plots all the time when someone asks them? So <laughs> in, in a certain way, it's nice that it didn't work out that well. And that, you know, the first figures it out because, you know, something like that shouldn't really work so well in, for, in real life. So you know, nice moment of something failing. Right. We did get a, what I thought was a hint at what could have been a more effectual, uh, first evil when, I mean, we could, we could argue about why is he going after Andrew? What is it he hopes to get out of Andrew and the whole, you know, why aren't you going after spike? Why don't you just use the trigger on spike? It's not his time. That feels like, again, cause I don't remember what's coming up. Um, that feels like a whole hand waving thing. Um, but don't think about that. This is Andrew's scene. But once the first figures out that he's being played and, uh, and you know, he starts gradually changing his appearance to look like the bleeding and then, and then eventually the rotting uh, Jonathan. Um, and he appears to the girls in a, in as a horrifying apparition. I don't know. That felt more like the kind of, horror and fear and doubt that the first could sow than most of what he's been doing before this. And, you, and the know? fact that they can't hurt him, I don't understand why he's not there all the time. Why, yeah, yeah. why isn't he just always in the house as some horrible disfigured rotting corpse? But So this is kind of a, this is in some ways, this is a standard character that we get in sci-fi and fantasy and even, you know, in shows that aren't meant to be fantasy where there's someone who can be anybody. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I've seen before that they're limited to dead people. Mm-hmm. And that, that in a weird way, it weakens his powers because he can't pretend to be someone just in the group. Right. Which would be a lot more disruptive. I mean, so this set of episodes finally, finally addressed what I said earlier uh, would be a foolproof way of the Scooby gang always knowing if the first is infiltrating the house or not, which is, you know, every 20 minutes, everybody in the room has to stand up and shake hands. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, that's a, that's a foolproof way of figuring out if anyone in the room is messing with you. Um, but... I think the I think this episode gives us a hint of how the first could use that limitation, that weakness of he can only appear as uh, someone who's dead. Um, this at least suggests that he could appear as someone who's dead in any state. So like mm-hmm. the the rotting vision of Jonathan is possibly what Jonathan's body looks like right now. Um, 
So, I mean, that shows us that he's got room to play, even though he's limited to who he can be, um, he can use that in different ways to his advantage, it to its advantage, I guess. But, um, yeah, that would be really useful just to keep people up at night. Right. That, that would be a very, that would be like a super villain that I don't think anyone could handle if they just showed up as a rotting <laughs> corpse in the middle of the night every night. Yeah. He's really underestimating the uh, power of sleep deprivation. Maybe, maybe the first just doesn't want to be that mean. <laughs> that's sure. That's it. That's what it <laughs> is. Because that would really mess me up if if they just showed up and w- w- appeared in my in my bedroom as a rotting corpse. My 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 clothes already do that, and I'm already pissed <laughs> in my clothes when they do that. <laughs> um. But, can can I transition to um, Shao An, who's played uh-huh. by Christy Wu? Yeah. So one thing that everyone who's a fan of Whedon knows is that there's a long history of of racial questions in these shows right. and questions of whether they're dealing with race well. Mm-hmm. And one thing I can't figure out is why is Giles pretending to – I forget which language it is, but why is Giles pretending to speak it better than he does? I – I don't know. I So again, that's something that on camera is just sort of used as a source of humor. Yeah. Um but considering in every other scene that he's in uh in these episodes, he's being super stern and no time for joking around, Giles, it's weird that in this instance he's trying to downplay one of his own shortcomings, which is that he doesn't speak Cantonese well enough to communicate yeah. with this girl. That seems like a really important detail since this girl needs to be trained just like the other potentials. Yeah. I also, I also wish at, at first I was like, why doesn't Spike speak to her? He spent time in China. And then I was like, then I remembered when he killed the Chinese slayer, he said, sorry, love. Don't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> Cause he never bothered to learn. I mean, he never bothered to learn their language. And then I came back around and I was like, but it would have been kind of a cool reveal for us to see that afterwards something, <laughs> something changed. And he, and he did decide to learn Chinese. I just thought it would have been interesting if spike could understand what she was saying and communicate with her when Giles couldn't. Yeah. Or if they could just do a magic spell to learn Cantonese and, Yes. Why? Why is the literally in all three of these episodes, the only thing that Willow does effectually is a locator spell. Yeah. In each of these episodes. Am I right? Is that true? In all three of the episodes, she does some variation on a locator spell. That seems right. Yeah. Yeah. And in one of them, I think she did it twice. (laughs) In one episode, I think she did it more, you know, more than once. So it's just interesting that for this little block of time, Willow's function is to cast a locator spell. But anyways, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, they could have done any number of things. They could have had Willow do a translator spell or they could have, you know, gone and found some MacGuffin, some necklace that you wear that lets you understand what people are saying, but. Or or, or a dictionary. Or a dictionary. Yes. Could have done it the old fashioned way. But instead, and and like most of these jokes kind of get on my nerves, but I did enjoy the flashcards. Yes. 
even even though I'm trying not to laugh at these jokes because I, they're they're kind of they're they're on the edge. I, I think they're kind of offensive, but but the flashcards and the fact that when Giles is pissed off, he's like, "Didn't you see the flashcards?" Mm-hmm. That one made me laugh, even though I'm trying not to. Yeah, um, the flashcard things, I I don't know if I'm if I think that's all that problematic because the character herself isn't on camera or directly like, like that's more of a joke at Giles's expense yes. than it is at show on. But, uh, um, I liked the flashcard things because a, it was funny and B it called back to uh hush when he had to do, when they had to do like yeah. the PowerPoint presentation, which was kind of the same as the flashcards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was funny. I liked it. And and of course it does call to he 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 does speak Cantonese and his flashcards can't possibly convey what he's trying to convey. Right. Yeah. Yes. I like how all the girls were horrified. Like Willow is like <laughs> what what was it? It was it was one where the the first evil like pulled us pulled the slayer in half or something and she was like giles <laughs> showed it to him like what are you thinking yeah anyways um one of the one of the books i was reading one of the i don't remember if it was nick if it's nikki's book um bite me or if it's uh the the other one dusted but one of them pointed out, I think it was Nikki, said that we had come this far, we'd made it almost all the way through the entire series without having any, like, awful stunt casting. And then in this episode, we get Ashanti cast as the demon date of the week. Mm-hmm. And, um... I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if I would have been as bothered by that actress, uh, like her, her performance, the fact that she's, you know, not the greatest actress on camera, at least in this episode. Um, I don't know if it would have stood out to me as much or bothered me as much if it hadn't been stunt casting, if it hadn't so obviously been pop star Ashanti, uh, <laughs> stepping in for a role. But, uh, how did you feel about it? I guess I don't, get as mad as other people i i you know i don't i didn't care that ed sheeran was in game of thrones oh that didn't bother me at all that was laughable the controversy (laughs) about that whole thing but and i thought she she, ashanti did a passable job you know yeah i think she didn't have to do a, a bunch and as long as she's she wasn't she didn't have to carry the episode or anything and so right you know it's kind of easy to be somebody who just you know is decided it's going to be fun to kill Xander. That's, that's an easy role. Yeah. A lot of us have been there. <laughs> a lot of us know how that feels. Um, let's see. I, I liked Anya in this episode. I like Anya in most episodes. Yes. Her reaction to she him keeps me having a date. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you know the the when she gets angry and talks about date fest two thousand and three, <laughs> and 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 the way she 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 attacks Xander's date, not even knowing her. I I, I thought 
Anya's typically Anya, and enjoy that. Yeah. Um, I guess the last, I, I genuinely don't know how big of a controversy this is, but the mild research I've done suggests it at least at one point has been controversial. The recasting of Nikki Wood. So, um, I'm, I apologize. I don't have these names written down. Um, well, I have Katie Aubert, I guess, is the actress that played her in this, who played Nikki Wood in this. That's the actress that's been recast in the role previously uh in fool for love she was played by a stunt woman um who's i apologize i don't have her name written down it's something whedon something uh but anyways yeah, april april whedon washington thank you um so i guess the controversy was um that they they claimed that they recast the role because they just needed you know someone who was more prepared to be an on-camera actress as opposed to someone who was just going to have a brief scene. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, April, April Whedon Washington has claimed that she actually uh, auditioned, re-auditioned for the role and was told that, that she was not going to be chosen because she had a certain maturity, which she took as them saying, you're too old for the part. And so we're going to recast. And I guess a lot of fans were upset about that so do you have any thoughts on that or um so i don't so i assume there's no relation yeah i don't think it's, I, it's spelled differently i think isn't it the weed yeah yeah it is yeah. it is it doesn't she doesn't have an h in her name right um i did not realize this but like i i wonder you know it's hard to know whether like sometimes someone's cast just because they're doing, you know, a small thing where they're not having to talk, but right. she's done a lot of stunt work, but you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to judge without having seen a lot of work. Yeah. Maybe she, you know, I don't know whether she, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to like disparage her. Maybe she's a great actress, but right. I don't know. Right. But you don't know. Um, I mean, you're at least looking at her Wikipedia. I haven't even looked up her Wikipedia. I just know that at the time and, and maybe still there have been people that were really upset about that decision. I could easily take it at face value. Like what the, what the writers have claimed that they recast because the character was now going to have like dialogue to deliver and she was going to be on camera more than she was before and so to me that makes sense i mean if april whedon washington uh was given an audition was given a shot to prove that she could deliver lines and everything and they chose not to go with her well i mean that's how the business works i guess so yeah now i'm looking at her imdb and she might only go by april whedon now okay and she only had two parts before this one this this was her third part, and the other two parts aren't things I I've ever seen. Well, she she was in General Hospital, but I assume she was in that as a small child, because that seems like a long time earlier. Yeah. But she was in Dancing in September, and then The Artist's Journey. She's gotten in a few a, a lot of parts since then, but yeah, it's it might just be one of those things that's kind of sad that yeah. 
sometimes people get replaced. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't remember how much more we get to see of Nikki Wood as the season goes on. I don't think she's in it much. Okay. I mean, we, obviously, we get a flashback at the end of this episode. Or not a flashback, I'm sorry. We, we get to see her as the first at the end of this episode. Um, but yeah, I didn't remember if we got any more flashbacks of her later down the line or if the first shows up as her again. But at any but rate... She's in, she's in Lies My Parents Told Me, but I don't know if she's in anything else. Okay. So either a flashback or the first, but um, I did like the final scene. I liked seeing how Wood deals with the first that he clearly, I, I couldn't tell if this was the first time that I think so, that he had encountered it. I think. Oh, okay. But he clearly has a, uh, a more stoic response to it. He clearly uh, wasn't as freaked out by it as uh, some of our heroes have been and was willing to walk right through it and not pay it any mind or whatever until it gave him the information that he wanted. So, Yeah. And it's, it's setting up something nice. And so it's a, it's a nice little ending of something that clearly they could have just accepted that he would have known that Spike was the killer, but <laughs> It was a nice, it's a nice scene to have at the end of the episode, which only works if you don't let him know that right. Spike is the killer. It's one of those things where I guess I have to allow for that frustrating inconsistency just so we could get this cool payoff at the end of the episode. I, I bet that, that that sort of thing gets fought about a lot in writer's rooms where someone has a great idea and someone else is like, but it doesn't work. They're like, but I love my idea. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet that happens. As someone who has collaborated on a work of fiction with uh, other writers, I can tell you that is the most fun and the most pain. <laughs> so. Um, all right. Well, I'm all out of notes. I don't have anything else to say about these. Is there anything we've missed or anything else you want to comment on? No, I think the for three fun episodes they're not the best episodes in the series but they're they're not the worst and i think they're setting up an ending which will clearly be controversial and we'll have to listen to your podcast to see what what <laughs> everyone thinks about it i i have reference i've i've made allusions to my controversial opinion so many times that i'm sure i'm gonna lose listeners i'm sure listeners <laughs> are like you know what i'm tired of hearing about it i'm not even gonna listen to your final episode <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll turn around in the final episodes after rewatching them and, and listeners have to tune in. Maybe. I mean, it's, it would not be the first time that I've changed previously held opinions on this rewatch. So I don't think it's likely, but who knows? Anyways. Um, well, James, thank you so much for joining me for uh, struggling through the pandemic, surviving the apocalypse solely so you could be on this podcast again. Definitely. That was the reason. Yeah, I can that... tell. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, you want to let the listeners at home know how they can stalk you online? Um, you could probably find me on Twitter where I just make dumb jokes about how I'm not competitive on the world's toughest um, race. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what uh, right. what is your Twitter handle? I think it's at rational autonomy, but that's right. rational is abbreviated R A T L. 
Okay. There you go. And you're not doing Facebook? Um, yeah, I'm on Facebook too. I'm trying I'm trying to quit Facebook and I'm not yeah. succeeding. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> I'm always uh, envious of my guests that say, I don't really have any social media to pimp. I'm like, oh, God bless you. How do you do it? <laughs> well, um, and once again, I will include a link in the show notes, but uh, one more time, uh, your your book, your, the book that you and your wife both wrote. Yes, and we, we talk about these episodes, okay. at least two of them, in, in the last chapter. The book is called Joss Whedon Anarchist, it's, and um, it's, it's my wife who wrote about these episodes. So if you want to hear her thoughts, which are much more intelligent than mine were, then you could read the last chapter of the book. Is she? I, so I can tell she's in the room with you. <laughs> yes. She has very patently avoided being on camera or mic, but I can see yeah. her shadow every once in a while. <laughs> has she been glaring at you when you get things wrong or holding up flashcards with your body Definitely. torn in half or anything? Definitely. Every time I have a question that I don't know the answer to, she she has the answer. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to get her on the podcast eventually. It's going to happen. <laughs> Angel is coming up. She has thoughts on Angel. Oh, she definitely has thoughts on Angel. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, again, thank you. Thank you both for being here, at least in spirit. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Um, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Um, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. It helps us find uh, a bigger audience. Uh, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on Facebook. Um, I think we are conversations with dead people. <laughs> I can't, I don't, I, I'm getting dumber with every episode i don't remember my own links um anyways next week you know her you love her elizabeth rambo is back again this time to hold my hand as we try to make it through episodes 715 get it done 716 storyteller and 717 lies my parents told me so until then ger arg everybody ger arg sometimes i think i'm a killer I scared you in your house I even scared myself by talking about Dahmer on your couch But I can't sleep next to a body Even harmless in death Plus I'm pretty sure I'd miss you And faking sleep to count your breath But I'm hungry